Thank you, thank you. So I just happened to notice something, George. <laughs> Did anybody else notice George is here? <laughs> for those of you that may be new here, George is a part of our community and he's been away um, for a season and time for a program. Are you done? Oh, it's Sarah's birthday. So George flew in for that. Yay. Well, it's good to see you, George. That was an exciting surprise when I just looked over and saw you. So love you so much, and we've missed you. What? What? <laughs> um, so for those of you, um, I, I know a large number of our community did go to ca California for the Azusa Now event. Um, but I also know that there's a good number of people that did not go, and there might also be a good number of people that might not be aware of what took place last weekend. Um, so I'm going to do a little bit of a recap. Um, but for those of you that maybe weren't there or aren't aware of it, I will say our recap really is going to transition into um, kind of what I feel is a timely word as far as heart response, which applies to all of us. So don't feel like if you weren't there or if you're just now finding out about it, that somehow this doesn't apply to you and this service will be irrelevant. It really is about heart response. And I'm going to, I just want to preface everything that I say today that there may be some of you in this room that the things that I'll address scripturally might not really be the season that you're in right now, but I can guarantee you will have a season. <laughs> um, and so listen carefully because it really will equip your heart, you know, in years to come. So with that said, we were all, um, actually I should back up because it'll help give you guys a little context as far as some of what I'm going to share. When I was in my early 20s, I became involved with a ministry um, under Lou Engel, who our house of prayer and our church is under his covering. And so Daryl and I actually were involved with the call DC in 2000. And so basically what the call was is on the Washington Mall in 2000, Lou Engel, which at that point in time was not very well known. So it was pretty much like a no-namer started calling the nation to the to the capital to fast and pray for America. And it was extraordinary because I can't even remember, I think they said 400,000 people came that day. That's what the parks and recs for DC estimated. Now, mind you, there was, this was not the kind of event where like all of the cool speakers and we're going to have Francis Chan and Jesus culture. Like nobody knew who was going to do the 12 hours. Everybody just knew we were going for 12 hours to fast and pray. Like, that's kind of crazy. Like, I, I'm, I am just going to say this. I know there's a lot of movements, like when you start putting out the really incredible worship leaders that everybody loves and the speakers that are so inspirational, it's like, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to go hear them. That's, that's exciting. But when Lou literally is saying, we're not promoting a name or a face, this is about coming to pray for the nation and 400,000 people come. That's crazy. That's really crazy. <laughs> um, and mind you, Lou was not very well known, even in the sense that the day before the call, like my, this call was really well organized. He had like the most amazing administration team that for weeks before I was getting emails about like your hotel room and your parking passes and this meeting at this time. Like it was so, I, I was like, who are these people? I've never worked with this organization before <laughs> in all the years. It was so detailed. I'm like, I can't believe you guys are this organized. Mind you, the first call, it was Lou making the phone calls. Hi, I want you to speak on the platform, and this is what time. And, and I'm thinking, don't you have an assistant? Like, this poor guy was like... But the day before the call in 2000, we were literally on... Like, this is different. Now you needed tags, and you had meeting rooms. And literally, the day before the call this time, I think I sent it to Kathy McDonald or somebody. There was the, the meeting room the day before with the people that were going to be ministering. It was like every person you can imagine in the body of Christ from like Jack Hayford, Lauren Cunningham, every, but a room that sat probably 150 to 200 people, and it was just packed with people that were involved the next day. So mind you, it's changed dramatically. In 2000, it was on the Washington Mall. Lou was sitting in a circle with about 15 of us <laughs> saying, I don't know who's going to show up and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We're just going to get on our face and seek the Lord. <laughs> it was it just it was drastically different. But with all of that said, I am going to say this. I was part of mobilizing for the call in 2000. Daryl and I were helping to lead a youth ministry and a young adult ministry. And there was such expectation for, let's go to the Washington Mall. 
let's seek the face of God. And if you, for those of you that lose language and things like that, he was like, it's an Elisha and Jezebel showdown. The fire of God's going to cut, you know, I mean, we all went like literally going, we're going to see fire. Like <laughs> there's going to be fire from heaven. It's like Elisha is going to appear in the flesh. I mean, you went there with like a real sense of like something insane is going to be happening. Like the heavens are going to open. And so we went and, and I'm sharing this in context of some other things, but we all went, we all did our 12 hours. There were definitely some major high points. There were other lulls when you weren't sure what was going on. Um, but we all went and we all went home. And I'll be honest with you from working with young adults from youth and, you know, like young professionals, there was really a sense of going, well, what happened? Did anything happen? And, and I'm going to, I'm saying this in context of that was in 2000. And I happened to watch a group of young people. Um, Daryl was a part of a band that played at several calls. He doesn't, (laughs) he doesn't like to own it. Um, (laughs) But I happened to watch a group of young people. So mind you, this was 16 years ago. Um, I happen to watch a group of young people go from postures of expectation to when their expectation was not realized in the way that they kind of dreamt or imagined that. I've watched young people then flounder in, in disillusionment, discouragement, unbelief, and even backslidden states. I mean, I, I'm going to be really honest. I've even seen it with the House of Prayer. Of It's been 10 years that we've been doing J-Hop, praying for the city of Boston, and you hold on to prophetic words, and you see people that are like believing for revival, believing for college campuses, and they go from that posture to when it's not translated or demonstrated or manifest in the way that our finite mind believes that it's going to be or imagines that it should be, then we get hurt and offended and discouraged and bored and we move on to other things. And I'm saying this because I'm going to actually talk to you a little bit about the Azusa revival that actually took place in 1906 um, and that there was, it was six. 100 million souls were saved through the Azusa Revival. And, and yeah, that's a lot of people. That is a lot of people that got saved in 1906. But you know what's interesting, though, is like, this is what happened was in 1906, I actually want to encourage all of you, if you don't read anything about revival history, you should. You really should just pick up some books, like read about Jonathan Edwards, read about the First and Second Great Awakening, read about the Azusa Street Revival, read about the revival in Wales under Evan Roberts. You should really read about these things because what I'm going to say is, number one, they saw such extraordinary moves of God that it will build your expectation for what God desires to do and what God intends to do. But there's a second part to that. Specifically, before Azusa Now, I was actually reading this specific book. And in reading about it, just reading about Frank Bartleman and the the process (laughs) and the journey that this man was on before he actually saw this major outpouring. There was nothing extraordinary. There was nothing grandiose. There was nothing amazing. It was actually a journey marked with a lot of suffering, a lot of hardship, a lot of pain. He lost, how old was his daughter that died? Was she six? She was like six years old. And, and in the process of his daughter dying, it was like while he was giving his life, laboring in prayer for revival, after, through the process of the pain of that, he pretty much said that at her bedside, once he like said his goodbyes, he made his resolve to live for eternity. Like instead of even that devastation causing him to be derailed and offset in his mission and his call, it actually made it more concrete in his heart of that it's really not about the here and the now. And it's so temporal, it's about eternity. So you actually find the journey, that, I, mean, between, I mean, talk about poverty. He's completely living by faith. And it's not like now, like when we live by faith, we all send out big newsletters and we all like, try to <laughs> raise money. He actually said that before God, he refused to allow his need to be known to man. He refused to utter his need before man. I mean, the rest of us, like if I need a new pair of boots, I'm posting on Facebook. I would love these designer $200 boots. Can't afford it, but if you want to bless me, you know. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> not gonna let my need be known and then we we're so shocked oh my gosh you bought me with the boots I wanted how did you even know but 
No, but really. <laughs> the guy couldn't feed his family. Couldn't feed his family. And he basically said, if this is important to the heart of God, and if this is God's call on my life, he's going to speak to someone because he cares. And because it's his desire. That's crazy. Hey, I'm not opposed to raising support. I'm not, <laughs> not at all. But can, can I just say here that level of saying if God truly cares and if I'm being called into this, God's going to do something. He's going to move on someone's heart. He's actually going to say, yep, I've called you to do that. So now I'm going to endorse you and I'm going to finance you. Rather than I'm going to fight my way, wrestle my way, and I'm going to make it happen. Whether God blesses it or not, I'm going for it. No, can I, I, I believe in this because that was really my testimony with J-Hot Boston. The woman that financed us, I never, I didn't solicit a person. I was like, I got an F in fundraising. <laughs> didn't even, she sought us out and said, what do you see the handprint of God on? Er, I don't, I'm not seeing the handprint of God on too much. <laughs> I'm discouraged and I think I'm moving into a one bedroom and just going to pray and fast for the city. She really pressed, what do you see the hand of God on? Well, there's this house, but I don't want to get into that. And she literally was like, hey, for the first year, I'm paying the entire rent. That's when she started paying my salary as a single person. How much was it? My salary? Yeah, how much was everything? Oh, God. Well, at one point, I don't know, because she ended up adding. She was financing us $14,000 a month. One person for many, many years. It was the only, it's the only reason we have a house of prayer here. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, I mean, honestly, when I wanted to secure that house, it was nine years ago. The rent was 4500 which is a steal, because now it's 7500 there um, for the house. <laughs> um, I wanted to rent the house, um, but I needed 14000 up front just to secure it, 4500 a month. And I just was in a position where all I wanted to do was pray and fast. I did not want to have to work hard to build a team, to get money, to pay the, you know, uh, like all of that. And so she just said, I'll pay it for the whole first year. Um, and, but that 14000 was when she ended up coming to our ordination and, taking, and telling Daryl he needed to leave his job and do this full time. And she offered to pay his salary as well. So, yeah, and crazy, right? <laughs> crazy. But there again, it's illustrated. If, if God cares and it's something he wants to endorse, he's going to move on people's hearts. It happens. But back to Frank Bartleman. If you look at the story of this man's life and the amount of affliction and pain and suffering, it's not like he just half-heartedly was seeking the Lord and stumbled upon revival. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to challenge you. Go study some of the revivalists and see the posture of heart and the manner of life that they lived. It was not a half-hearted approach to sing, see, seeking the kingdom of God. There was a place where they were wholeheartedly invested, but there was also the element of sacrifice, and there was a high cost. And then we find that these are the lives that God breaks in, and an entire generation is affected because of them. So I say all that to say is that, you know, Azusa now, I, I'm going to just share a little, do you mind if I kind of bear my my, my dark side. <laughs> so the, <laughs> did you know I had one? <laughs> so as I said to you, I've watched over these years, I've watched young adults put their hand to the plow, set their face to do something, and through delay and discouragement, turn aside. So I go out to Azusa now, and this, I'm just going to say, my, it, it's kind of changed. Azusa now changed the course and the direction of my life, but not in the way I think that the rest of the stadium was affected. Um, so I go out to Azusa now, and I bring my son. This is the first time. We did bring Abram. We participated in the one in Virginia, and we brought Abram, but it was different. You know, I had Abram in the stroller while he led worship. He had Abram in the stroller while I did my segment. Like, we kind of did this family deal. This was the first time I was like, okay, this is all about my kid experiencing what it looks like to, for, like, a massive amount of people to seek the face of God. Like, I want this to be his reality. So we go... And I start realizing, like, throughout the day, I'm like, oh, my, my heart isn't good. <laughs> my heart is not good at all. We're there, and obviously my heart is good in the sense that I want my child to experience this. But we pull up around 6.30, maybe 7 o'clock, and there is, number one, there's massive traffic. How many were there? The city was, like, gridlocked. And I'm, like, going, this is crazy. 
crazy. You know, I'm like, this is nutso. And, and then on top of that, there's lines of people just, just all around the stadium. And then as I'm walking closer, people are like, yeah, I've been here since three in the morning. And, and I have loose staff texting me saying, come to such and such a gate. There's security. You'll get through. And then they, and I'm like, why are there so many people outside? They're like, oh, there was a problem getting people in. They, the, the stadium didn't let people in. So as I'm going through the gate and I'm getting in and I'm thinking, thank God I'm not waiting in that line. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's actually what I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I would do that. I think I'd go back to my hotel and swim. You know, no, I, I, I had that thought. <laughs> I'm revealing my heart to you here. <laughs> no, I was sincerely. So I get in and, and then throughout the day, you know, it's raining periodically at this open stadium. So when it would rain, I'd either bring my kid up on platform because it's covered and I didn't want to be in the rain or they had a nice little skybox for him. And so it was about the time that I was walking up to the skybox as I'm passing all the people. I'm like, this place, there's a lot of people here. You know, and as I'm passing and looking at people, I'm like, they're all sitting out in the rain and they're all okay with this and they're all not moving. <laughs> And then as I'm like walking, and I'm, I'm actually getting convicted because I, I mean, I'm thinking I'm either going to be under the platform, under the cover, or I'm going to be up in the skybox. So I don't want to sit in the rain for 15 hours. But as I'm going up, I'm seeing like young families with small kids. <laughs> and I'm literally going like, oh my gosh, like these people, like, I mean, they're, they're there with infants and toddlers crammed into these rows. And I, like, I think like the ugliness of my heart I started being exposed. I'm thinking, I don't think I do that. I like for me there was a certain amount of it was like kind of easy and it wasn't inconvenient I had private parking and I had a nice gate to walk through that I didn't have to wait in line but you know what started striking me throughout the day is going there's really a high cost for all of these people that are gathering here I mean there's there were people there from all over the world talk about being sleep deprived and coming on flights and I was I was sleep deprived I had a child waking up at 3:30 in the morning cuz we were on west coast time <laughs> But this is what I'm going to say to you. Throughout the entirety of the day, I just started realizing is that there really is, regardless of what you may see, or if you're like, I don't see the third grade awakening yet, I'm going to say something. There is, there is a marked and distinct hunger in the body of Christ. There's a marked and a distinct hunger in the body of Christ. And really what I want to, there's a couple things that I want to address with our community but for me what I began to realize is is that that place of being inconvenienced or and I and I, I guess I'll even use this word that place of really being desperate for a move of God I'm going to say this to you it's it's perfectly fine my husband wasn't there he was here because he was facilitating this and serving here it's not about physically being in that location and I'm not saying if you didn't go fly your butt to California, you're not desperate for a move of God. It has nothing to do with that stadium. It has to do with a posture of our heart. And one of the things that we find when we read about um, the revival in Wales is it actually, it says of them that they came to a place of realizing they were satisfied with themselves and their own goodness. And when they realized... <laughs> They were satisfied with themselves and their own goodness. They realized they had a problem on their hands. See, oftentimes we want to point to issues of sin as the problem, of kind of like, well, if I have a big, dark, hairy thing growing out the side of my head, you know, and it's like blatant sin, well, then we know we all need to repent of that. But just simply the posture of being satisfied in ourselves and our own goodness, and instead of being desperate for the inbreak of God. Do you realize, people, that if, if we're just simply satisfied, we, we have a crisis on our hands? There, there's a problem if we're just simply satisfied. I'm actually going to read to you guys. It's actually one of my favorite quotes. Um, I'm going to read you one by A.W. Tozer. <clears throat> to have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love, scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religionist, but justified in happy experience by the children of a burning heart. Come near to the holy men and women of the past, and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him, they prayed, and they wrestled, and they sought for him day and night, in season and out of season. And when they had found him, 
the, found, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. Moses used the fact that he knew God as an argument for knowing him even better. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in, the, in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I might know thee, and that I might find grace in thy sight. And from there he rose to make the daring request, I re- beseech thee, show me thy glory. God was frankly pleased by the display of ardor, and the, and the next day called Moses to the mount, and there in solemn procession made his glory pass before Moses. David's life was a torrent of spiritual desire, and his psalms ring with the cry of the seeker and the glad shout of the finder. Paul confessed the main, mainspring of his life to be his burning desire after Christ. That I might know him was the goal of his heart, and to this he sacrificed everything. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them, but, but refuse that I might win Christ. That's A.W. Tozer. I, I love just because he's talking about hunger, but C.S. Lewis also says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desire not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And this is why I say it's important really to read the accounts of revival because, I mean, as C.S. Lewis says it, it's like a child making mud pies in the slum that we don't, the thought of a holiday at the sea, we have no concept of that. So to begin to read and begin to hunger for the vastness that God has made available for us. And you know, there's one passage of scripture, it's in Psalms. It's actually Psalms, um, it's Psalms 19, 13. I'm actually just going to turn there really quickly. Psalms 19.13 says, Keep your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. The interesting thing is the word presumptuous. How many of you guys know what it it means to be presumptuous? The word presumption means um, jumping to a conclusion. I just want to, I really want us to understand this word presumption for a second. It's jumping to a conclusion. It is taking something for granted. An idea, an answer, or an event without having any real knowledge about it. And it's usually, the word presumption is not a good thing. It's, it's to presume something. So this word presumption is literally that we're jumping to a conclusion and we're assuming that we have knowledge of something when really we have no idea. And one of the things, I'm going to be honest with you, that coming away from Azusa now is I really, I began to ask the Lord and say, God, all of my days, I want to be childlike in my pursuit of you. See, we have a couple of different groups of people here in this room. We have people that maybe the pursuit of Christ is very new for you, and it's very fresh, and it's very alive, and you're very eager, and your heart is very tender. That is a wonderful place to be. I will say, throughout the years and throughout your journey, you're going to have to fight for tenderness. You're going to have to fight for a tender heart. We have other people here that may have been raised in the church and raised around a lot of language and seen a lot and experienced a lot. And the problem is, is that then we move into this place of presumption. I've seen that. I know that. I've experienced that. To be honest, there's even a place where when we hear the word of God, there's a certain, we almost like want to finish it in our mind. Like, yeah, I I know what that says. And you know what it is? It's out of Isaiah. It says, on this one I will look. On he that is contrite in heart and trembles at my word. God is saying, I look on this one. People that are contrite and they tremble at my word. Do you know what that means? It means keeping a heart that is tenderly and eagerly looking for him. So what I began to realize at Azusa now is I just began to say, like, there is a place where not only my expectation, but my lens of things, that this sin of presumption, 
this sin of, and for some of us, even like you might have been at Azusa now and you're, you kind of walked away kind of going, well, what was the big thing? Like we all, it was pretty monumental to see all of those people gathered together praying. But honestly, they gathered together through the obstacle of waiting in line for, you know, at 3 a.m., standing in the, the pouring rain. I mean, all of the inconveniences of that. But can I honestly say to you, standing there up on that platform, I was struck with it again because, you know, Bill Johnson, Lou Engle, like there's these fathers in the faith that are there that although they see, like Bill sees miracles. Like he sees them a lot. But can I honestly tell you, with everything that was transpiring that day, he was awestruck. It was like a fresh and a new, kind of like, God is amazing. There's no place where, this word presumption literally means to take for granted. How many of us have begun to take even the presence of God for granted? Like we're used to it. We take a casual approach to the presence of God. You know what's interesting is the day after the call, um, Lou had this little gathering where some of his like team and, and family could be ministered to. Um, they, they brought Sean Boltz, because how many of you guys were there? Sean Boltz was like doing <laughs> like crazy, like calling people out, saying like their birthday, their street address, and naming all their children, and then giving them a word. How many of you guys have seen, the, there was a, a couple there that he called out, and they recently just released a testimony that he went to Azusa now alone without his wife, because that week they were talking about divorce. It's crazy. They went alone. He called out the couple. He called out their anniversary date, and he said, you did not make a mistake. (laughs) How crazy is that? (laughs) That's crazy right there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so they released this testimony basically saying, we left he went his way, I went my way because of all of the arguing. We were talking about divorce, and God intervened. And now we know it was not a mistake. We did not choose poorly. It was the will of God, and he spoke into that. But, you know, in the, so that day afterwards, do you want to know what, really what struck me too, though? Is Todd, uh, Todd White, for those of you guys that saw him there, he has a lot of signs, wonders, miracles happening through his life. He's there praying for the sick and praying for all of us in that room. And um, he stands up to give his testimony. And it just like struck my heart because, you know, I think sometimes we think people get to a place where they're experiencing some kind of fullness in God. And therefore, it's like easy for them or they're in a different class or category than us. I told Daryl this when I got back, Todd... Todd White got up and he said that eight years ago, before anybody ever knew him, I mean, he's all over the world now, eight years ago, he said, I read The Atomic Power of Prayer and Fasting. He said, and when I read The Atomic Power of Prayer and Fasting, he said, I made a commitment that every other day I would fast. He said, I've been doing it for eight years. For eight years, the guy every other day has been fasting. I mean, most of us, we do a 40-day fast and we're like burnt out. I'm like, oh, I'll set until next year. I did my, like, I did my piece, like, I did my penance, like, almost, this guy, but do you want, do you want to know what's amazing? (laughs) Is this man, the posture that he takes in prayer and fasting, but then multitudes are reaping the benefit because they're coming under this healing anointing for the price that he pays in the place of prayer and fasting. But I think sometimes we think, well, they just get up there and it's just easy for them. They're just calling it out and it just, it's like a special grace or a special, what if it's not a special grace or a special anointing? What if it's that this young man positioned his heart before God? What, what if it's a mantle of healing that was actually intended for someone else? But they didn't posture themselves to receive. And he's posturing himself to receive from God. So for me, like I said, it was amazing, the stadium and all of those things. But I'm going to say this to you, is that for, I have... I have a a renewed zeal in my heart, even for us as a community, that we would not be found in the, in, with the sin of presumption. And what that means, it really, the, the root of presumption is pride. That's really what it is. It's, it's somehow when someone else is, is teaching or instructing of like standing with the posture of, I know better, I, I could do better. I, you know, that place of arrogance of heart, but it's also that place that instead of, I, I want to ask us this question, do we live with the posture of looking for God? Like looking for the activity of the Holy Spirit. Like, do we live our days looking for how is God speaking to me? How is God showing himself to me? When you're in a conversation, are you even listening for God? 
in either what he's doing in the life of another individual or even how he wants to use you to speak. Are we living with that posture of expectation? I would dare to say that most of us do not. Most of us live a very dull, kind of half-hearted approach and life. Kind of like me at the stadium, going, thank God I'm not in that line. (laughs) And thank God I'm not standing in the rain. That place, instead of just going, it's a privilege just to be here and to participate. See, that's the posture of humility. Is You know what? We begin to see life as a privilege, not entitlement of what's owed to us, and if it doesn't go my way, and if it doesn't go in my time frame, then guess what, God? I'm all done. It's, it's the posture of saying, it's a privilege to serve you, and I'm expecting to hear from you, and I'm looking to see you. I want to encourage our community. I, I, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you this question, and I want you to answer it in your own heart. All of us are fighting for something. Some of us are fighting for positions. Some of us are fi- fighting for recognition. Some of us are fighting for finances. Some of us are fighting for a relationship. You, in your heart, you are fighting for something. There's something you're going after. And, I, and hear me, we're J-Hop. I'm not opposed to the language of contending. I, I get that. But you know what I want to say? Above all else, we should be found fighting for a tender heart. No, really, I, it, it, whether, whatever your status is in life, whatever it is you're going after, you know what I want to say to you? Give yourself to fighting for a tender heart before him. Looking for the activity of his spirit. Looking for what he's speaking. And you know, my day at Azusa ended up turning out very differently between my son having temper tantrums and all kinds of stuff and security needing to come get me. But you know what? I, I, it was great. It was great. But you know what I did is I basically quieted my heart and basically started saying, okay, clearly I'm not receiving from that platform <laughs> and clearly I'm not even participating in this program, but I'm looking for your activity and what are you speaking to me here? Whether it's in a skybox with a sleeping child or in a green room stuffing his face. <laughs> I mean, all of those things. And this is the thing, I think sometimes we get caught up on our, what is our position or our vocation or our status in life. That's what we're all looking at. We're looking at whether I'm a mom stuck at home or I'm a dad stuck in a career that I hate or I'm looking to get to this location or I'd love to move here to Hawaii. You know, we're all kind of looking at those external things when really the ultimate issue of the heart is looking for his activity. Looking for the activity of the Holy Spirit. So the question is really what are you fighting for today? Are you fighting for something specific in the area of your identity? But I want to encourage all of us to come to the place that we're fighting for a tender heart before him. I'm going to read you guys Matthew 13. This is actually, he's quoting out of Isaiah. So Matthew 13, 14. In them, the prophets of Isaiah in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are, are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and do not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. Verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received, uh, who, who, who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in him, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed along the thorns is he who hears, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Verse 23, for he who receives seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. 
who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. So do you see, number one, the seed is being scattered. It's the word of God being offered. And do you, do you even realize that with seed can come fruitfulness? It's the opportunity for fruitfulness. It's scattered, it's given, it's, it's available for all of us. But do you actually watch with all three of these is that basically it, it's, the, it's the posture and the condition of the heart, but it's also perception. It's how we perceive. It's how we understand. It's how we, uh, you know, are, are interpreting life and all of those things. So that basically the seed is sown, but there's not fruitfulness that comes from it. And then we actually find the very, very last one here. It actually says that he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some 160 and 30 fold. And so then we find lastly, it's this posture of understanding. Give us a heart of understanding. It starts even with the, the, the prophecy of Isaiah, of having ears but you don't hear, having eyes but you don't see. How many of us are actually in, in places in life where God is speaking to us, or there's the activity of the Holy Spirit, but we don't have eyes to see and ears to hear? We've become dull in our seeing and dull in our senses. And you know what it is? It's, it's not because he's not speaking, it's because our attention is in other places. That's not even saying our, our attention is in sinful places. That's just like I was saying, instead of fighting for a tender heart, that when the seed is sown, that then a harvest can come, we're fighting for other things. And so I just want, if you guys can close your eyes for a minute, because I'm going to pray for us as we close out. God, we come before you today, Father, and I ask, Lord, that we as a community would be found in a posture and a position before you of a tender heart. God, we recognize, Lord, that it's so easy to become cynical and critical, judgmental, and even just jaded. Lord, oftentimes, Lord, we become offended with your ways, God, when we don't feel as though you're either answering or moving or showing yourself the way that we desire. But God, I ask, Lord, that our community would be marked by a heart of humility, Lord, that even as it says in Isaiah, Lord, that you look upon this one, he that is contrite of spirit and trembles at your word. God, we say we want to be a people, Lord, that are continually looking, Lord, for the activity of your Holy Spirit, that are continually seeking to hear your word. God, I ask, Lord, today that for all of those under the sound of my voice, God, that you would tenderize hearts. God, any place where we have grown callous or indifferent. God, any place that we are giving ourselves and even fighting for the building of our own kingdom, the building of our own comfort, the building of our own desires and our own fame. God, we say we want to give our energy and our focus to fighting for a tender heart, a heart that is tender and responsive towards you, Jesus. God, I ask that we would be a people, Lord, that truly have eyes to see and ears to hear. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, we say we don't want to be so caught up in our own carnal mind and our own mindsets and our own perceptions of life and things that we miss the moving of your Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting because in Jeremiah's day, he was giving a word to the people and he was actually speaking to them about the fact that they were going to go into captivity. And so the people, because they heard the prophecies of Isaiah, because in Isaiah, in one chapter, Isaiah prophesied that they would not be brought into captivity and then in another chapter, he prophesied that they would be, but it was completely different times and seasons. So basically, instead of them discerning the time and the season that they were in and responding to the word of the Lord, they just held on to what felt good. They held on to what appealed to them, to, to their pride and to their nature and to their self-preservation, and they had it all wrong because they didn't really have a heart that was perceiving the time and the season that they were in. 
And you know what's amazing is there might be many, many people that kind of look at Azusa now and go, well, I didn't see like the third great awakening happening. But you know what I'm going to say to you? I was a part of the call in 2000. And not only is like J-Hop and Hilltop the fruit of that, those gatherings, but I personally, like some of my best friends, Daryl and I know, Benji Nolo with Exodus Cry, Banning with Jesus Culture, at Brian with Axe. Like we have, just in our immediate family of people, people that there's ongoing movements and works that were birthed out of it. That you can't, and this is why I'm saying, you can't judge by the sight of your eye or the hearing of your ear. Because you know what? You're going to be wrong. You're going to be dead wrong. (laughs) But if there's a heart to perceive the movement of the Holy Spirit, and that's once again, is that even if you can't pinpoint one thing, like on that day and look to that one thing, do you want to know something? There were lives in that place. The next Billy Graham could have been in that stadium. I mean, you have no idea what was transpiring, but us in our little finite mind, because we think we know so much, and we think we can judge it all, and somehow we're the final say. I mean, really. (laughs) We have no idea what was transpiring and taking place in that place that day. But we'll see the fruit of it to you. And you, one of the things that I'm just always so provoked for, so Lou's been praying for revival for, it's like 30-something years. I mean, the guy was 40, and he was on a lawnmower just praying for revival, and then he started the call. But do you, most people wouldn't even know this. So before, before the call started, he basically had a word in his heart that they should have 120 drums and 120 shofars. He calls the lady that was going to be organizing, I think her name was Linda Prince, uh, that was going to be organizing um, the Native American segment. He doesn't know this. She's never told anybody. She had a word like 20 years ago. This is crazy. She had a word like 20 years ago that when you see the sounding of 120 drums and the sounding of 120 shofars, it'll, it'll, it will be the mark and the distinction of the beginning of a great awakening. So Lou has this word in his heart, kind of like, I have to ask her if we can get a hold of. So he calls her. She basically is like, ah, uh, how did you know? And how did you? So that's taking place. But this is crazy. We're sitting on the platform, and, and um, Chris Berglund, um, Lou had asked him the day before, he said, what is going to be the high point? Because Chris just is like that. He, just, he dreams it, he sees it, and it's always right. He, Lou asked him, what is going to be the high point? So Chris went to sleep that night, and he asked the Lord, he said, what is going to be like the breaking point of that day? And Chris actually saw the sounding of the shofars and the beating of, no, 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 this, is, this gets crazier. He saw the sounding of the shofars and the beating of the drums, but in Chris's dream, he began to hear um, um, fling wide, no, no, what's that, uh, the psalm, um, open wide the gates. You know, you know, the psalm, what's, the, it's Psalm 24, but how's it go? <laughs> yes, he hears it. In his dream, he's hearing the declaration of Psalm 24. And while he's hearing it, the Lord's speaking about this will be the opening. Well, the day of the call, they're sounding their shofars, they're beating their drums. And the Native American, not knowing Chris's dream, she just has an unction to start praying Psalm 24. She starts praying. <laughs> and Chris is next to us going, this is my dream. Like, <laughs> this is all how, And none of these people are communicating. Or, But this is why I'm saying is it's that childlike posture of looking for the activity of the Holy Spirit. Instead of kind of, and most of us probably were like, I actually had somebody next to me on the platform going, I'm not into shofars. <laughs> you know, we, us with our own opinions and our own desires and how we interpret things, we have our own judgments of how it is, but yet there's a God in heaven that has spoken specific words to people to spark faith in their heart. And so this is what I want to say to you, is that as a community of people, we want to be on the side of expecting and believing for what God is doing. Hey, Derek Prince had a word. It was like 1972 in Tremont Temple. And he actually said, he said, Boston is the Jericho of the United States. And he said, and when I cause the walls of pride and intellectualism to fall, I will pour out my spirit across this whole land. You know what I want to say though? We're here in Boston and let's just say if he addressed pride, 
pride and intellectualism, it's because we're people that are prey to that. We're people that are, that's, that's a common weakness here of somehow we think we know it all, we've got it all, we've seen it all, I will determine what is God and what is not, and I will, so you know what I want to say? The best posture in order to position yourself for what God wants to do is go low. Just go low. Even if you don't agree, even if you don't like it, go low in the posture of prayer. And instead of assessing your own judgments and your own opinions on the body of Christ and what is God and what is not, just simply say, I'm looking for the activity of your Holy Spirit. Let me be found with a tender heart that is responsive and looking for God's voice. Begin to ask God, what are you saying? And you know what? You don't always have to get, get up and tell everybody else what he's saying. Just re- remain in the posture of being tender and pliable in the place where you're eager and you're expected. If you're in this place today and you know, you can actually say, no, I'm not in a place of expectation. I have, I, I've not been in a place of expectation. There is no shame in that, but I actually want you to stand to your feet. We're going to pray. And I get it. This, this goes to the very, <laughs> this goes to the very, very root of pride that none of us actually wants to be found in a place of need. But if you know that you're in that place of need of saying, I need faith and hope awakened in my heart. I need to be tenderized and I need to be in a posture and a position where I'm looking for the activity of the Holy Spirit. There is no shame in that. That was me the day of Azusa as I was walking around going, I'm glad I'm not in that line. I actually changed my posture to say God saying God I want to be in a place of being desperate for you we cannot despise desperation we cannot stand at a place of despising what it is to be needy and broken because that is what has birthed every move of God in every generation past so God we come before you as a community of people and God we even say Lord we We want to lead the way, God, in laying down pride in intellectualism. God, we say, Lord, we do not want to be a people that stand critical and judgmental. Lord, we just even lay down all of the opinions that somehow we we know better or we could uh, uh, do it better or the judgments of other people. And God, we ask, Lord, that instead we would stand with a heart of, of tenderness before you, of humility before you. God, we simply desire the moving of your Holy Spirit. God, we say we don't care how it comes. We don't care who it comes through. But God, we simply want to be found in the posture of expectation and eagerly waiting and looking for the movement of your Holy Spirit. God, we say, Lord, don't let us be that people that resist and oppose the movement of your Holy Spirit. God, we ask that you would do whatever it is you need to do in our hearts to make us pliable and bendable and breakable before you. God, we say, Lord, we want to be that people in Isaiah, Lord, that you look upon those that are contrite. Lord, those that are humble and Lord, those that tremble at your word. God, I ask, Lord, even right now, Lord, that you would break off dullness of heart. God, I ask, Lord, every place where our life has been consumed with with fighting for position or fighting for status or finance or occupation, whatever it may be, God, we say, find us as a people that are fighting for a tender heart before you. God, we believe Derek Prince's word, Father, that when the walls of pride and intellectualism fall, Lord, that you will pour out your spirit across this whole nation. So, God, we say that we want to be participants. God, we willingly choose to take down the walls of pride and intellectualism in our own lives, places where we want to weigh and assess and judge God in the moving of his spirit, And God, we say, Lord, that instead, God, we simply want to be found, Lord, with humility and tenderness of heart. Thank you, Lord. You know, we were praying last night, five more seconds, and then we'll let you go. Um, But we were praying um, out of a time when I felt like the Lord was kind of just questioning my own heart or calling me to a higher place in him. 
Um, but it was all about faith and about taking risk. You know, the problem when your head isn't married to your heart, you know, when, when the two aren't working together to uh, perceive and declare and walk in the things of God, you kind of get, you kind of get stuck in a ditch. And, um, you know, I know for us here at Hilltop and J-Hop, God's called us to be risk takers and to be a people of faith. And, um, and sometimes that can look ridiculous, can it, you know? Um, it can look absurd because oftentimes we demonize things we don't understand. And if we don't demonize them, we just don't move in them or take those risks because, well, uh, we haven't seen it. You know, one thing I loved about the call, one of the things is when Sean Bolts in the midst of 65,000 people starts just in faith calling out people random in, in the auditorium. I was amazed by just what faith that must have took, and I was challenged, really, not that God isn't able to do that, but that I don't think I'm at that place of taking those types of risks. And that's just a small um, picture, I think, of how I was challenged. But, you know, one thing is we never know what God is doing behind the backdrop of things. Bethany had mentioned it back in 2002, uh, 2000 when the call D.C., 400,000 people amassed on the mall there. There were so many ministries, guys, that we love today that were branded and mar- and actually got their start out of that event. You think of the music you listen to through Bethel and Jesus culture, the, the sex traffic you can issue through Benji Nolo. Sean Foyet believes that his life was marked in that rally, and it set him on the course in the ministry that he's in now. Sean, Sean Bolts, and on the list goes on. So we have no idea what God does behind the backdrop. I would just encourage us to be a people of faith, like Bethany said, and not always ridiculing things that we don't understand. You know, we can, we can rely on our intellectualism being here in Cambridge, our, our wit and the power of this, all we want. There's plenty of it in the church here in Cambridge. But you know what? Unfortunately, if we just stop there, and I'm not saying don't use our wit, our smarts. If we stop there, that will be our only reward. That will be all that we gain is just a nice flashy church who says all the right words, has all the right theology. I don't want to be that place, guys. It's nothing that I've set out to do, Hilltop. And I want to be in a culture where we are creating a, 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 a tenacity, a hunger for the things of God. Not just mind power, but things of where we rely upon the Spirit. And so, um, thank you, Bethany. Uh, Guys, really, there's a lot just, I think, resting upon us as individuals as how we are going to respond, you know, um, in the aftermath of a rally like the call, and how we're going to respond even now, hearing this word. You know, I think for the most part, we even in this context look for something to click real quick. Okay, I responded. Now, what's going to click? Listen, the only thing that's going to click is either you're going to bend and be obedient to the will of God for your life, or you're just going to get locked in trying to think that somebody else is going to do it for you. Okay?